this morning, I want to share just something that God's put on my heart. I'm doing it now because next Sunday we're going to kind of focus on the sanctity of human life. Um, and uh, then the following Sunday, uh, Bishop uh, Randy Sizemore will be here to share and kind of do the same thing I'm doing right now, except he's going to do that uh, denominationally <clears throat> as being part of the Evangelical Congregational Church. We're a part of a denomination interconnected uh, with a group of other like-minded uh, followers of Jesus. And Randy, as I said, is kind of overseeing that. So he's going to share with you what God's been laying on his heart about that. It's probably going to be similar in the sense that just feels like there's an urgency to what God's called us to do because if you actually believe what we sang about, there's a lot of people out there that need to know Jesus. And so as we think about um, the year ahead, I, I kind of was led to a passage of Scripture that I, I want to use as simply a launching pad into something that we're going to be talking about a bit more in depth as we get into uh, 2024 out of the New Testament. This is just a passage taken from Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom literature and, and the proverb, the, the maxim, words to live by, orient your life around these things. And uh, for all intents and purposes, it will go well for you. Uh, if you do everything all the time, does it always mean it's going to happen? No. Uh, but if you live in this way, if you form your life around these truths, uh, ultimately life will go well for you. Uh, that's what Proverbs is really telling us. And there's a little maxim in there, a little truth in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 that I want us to use to kind of get us into uh, 2024 and where I believe God's kind of leading us as a church. Uh, as Grace EC Church. Uh, it's going to sound a lot like probably a lot of other churches uh, where God's leading them, but I want us to think through how do we do that and how do we be intentional about what God is calling us to. So to begin with, we got to know where we're at. So there's, you know, times within our culture where we just need to take a, a pulse of where we're at, take the temperature of where we're at, kind of orient ourselves using a map, as to where we are. So you are here. You've probably seen that little pin before. Uh, if you remember going to malls in the 1900s, they had things called malls that when you were a kid you went to or that's where you hung out if you were in high school. I, I don't know. I mean, there, there still are malls, but I don't know if anybody goes. But there would always be one of these boxes, one of these big things in the center of the mall that says you are here. And from that, you were to orient yourself to find whatever store you wanted to go to. Now, if we're all being honest, they really weren't that helpful because we're trying to like, well, I got to walk that way or this way. I, I have no clue. But the goal was to say, this is where you are. You got to know where you're at if you want to know where you're going. In the old days, you had to do that with a map if you were driving. Um, nowadays, if you use Google Maps, there's a little blue dot. You never have to really figure out where you're at. The blue dot just tells you. I'm sure that gives you all kinds of warm, fuzzy feelings that anybody, anytime can always find you where you are. Uh, if you have Life360, I, I just put it on my phone. I'm, my wife's not here. But if you have Life360, it alerts people everywhere you go. 
There are no, like, you can't go anywhere now without people knowing it. But in the old days, you had to open a map, and then you actually had to find where you are. Some of you uh, didn't like to ask for directions, so you would pour over this map instead of asking for directions, trying to figure out where you are, except you're in some small town that the map doesn't even have, and now you're lost. Well, that's kind of what these maps are for. So we're going to kind of say, where are we at? If we take a pulse of our culture, where's our culture at? If we take a pulse of the American church, where's the American church at? We got to know that if we want to know where we're going. And so I kind of been thinking and praying about all that. If you've been at Grace Church at all throughout 2023, I've been hitting on a number of things that kind of helps us see where we're at as a culture. Next Sunday, we're going to be focusing on sanctity of human life. It's not been that long ago when Roe v. Wade was overturned. And now things were decisions made by the states. And if you've been following any of that, it's not been super positive as far as directions that states are going. And so one of the best solutions to the issue we see is having organizations like Jewel Women's Center who are directly talking to ladies. And while they're talking about life and talking about options and talking about uh, care and how they can help, they're always interjecting an opportunity to introduce people to Jesus. And so rather than writing checks to people you don't know, that might happen in 2024. There's an election or something happening this year. And they're going to say, send money now to X person. Why I love partnering with Jewel Women's Centers because they are right over here, right in town. And I know that when they talk to people, the opportunity exists that it will transform that woman's life and the potential is there that will transform that man's life, and that family will be forever different because they introduced him to Jesus. And so if we're taking a pulse of where our culture is at, they are desperately needed right now. There was a time in which the culture in which we live, we've been talking about this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Uh, you know it, you've talked with your friends about it, we've talked in our connection groups about it, our Bible studies, our life groups, it's been everywhere. At one time, the church and the culture in which we live, they, we held hands and we kind of skipped down the lane. You know, we were all just like, hey, we'll help each other out, it's a good thing, you know, we used to teach kids the golden rule, do on others as you would have them do to you, that's all coming from the Bible, we used to teach all that kind of stuff. And then we, we kind of started breaking up. We weren't holding hands anymore. And now we're like bad exes. And we just keep her going different ways. That's kind of the cultural moment we're in. And so the culture's not doing our job for us as the church. And even as the American church, I think if we think about where we're at, you are here. We got some things to think about as well with regard to people being a disciple who makes a disciple. There's a difference between believing in Jesus and following Jesus. When Jesus gave his command to the disciples and said, go into all the world, all nations, and make disciples, he didn't say, go make believers. He said, make disciples, people who are going to follow me. And their whole lives get oriented around 
the person of Jesus Christ. That's what he has called us to do. And believe it or not, Scripture tells us that the hope of the world is the church. So no pressure or anything, but you are the hope of the world. Now, the good news is you're not by yourself. There's a whole group of people all over planet Earth that Jesus says, you are the hope of the world. Now, for me, as I've been thinking and praying about where we're at, I'm trying to orient myself on this map so that I can share with Grace Church where God wants us to go. I sense urgency in helping people know that Jesus is the hope of the world. And here's where that led me. That led me to a passage in Proverbs, as I said, that talks about vision. Now, usually I'm reading from the NIV, the New International Version, and it uses the word revelation. Everywhere else in the Old Testament, it's translated vision, but it's talking about a word from God, often in reference to Old Testament prophets, where God would speak to them and then they would speak to the people a word from God. And it, Solomon, who we believe wrote the book of Proverbs, who prayed about just being wise, said, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. That happy is he is actually taken from the uh, same language that's used in the Beatitudes. If you look at Matthew 5, blessed is the person, blessed is he. When Jesus uses that statement, he's talking in the same language as what Solomon is saying here. So blessed are the people who take the word of God and put it into practice in their own lives. That We need a vision, a revelation from God if we're going to figure out where God wants us to go. And so that leads us back in to God's word. And that's what I've been challenged with just as the pastor of the church. As I've been thinking about 2024, as I've been praying about it, as God's just been putting stuff on my heart, there's a passage that we actually read through. We didn't stick with it very long in the fall. It was part of a, a sermon series I did about going deeper. It's out of the book of Ephesians. And when I thought about a vision, when I thought about, okay, what's God's word? What is God saying to us in his word? It, it led me to Ephesians 4. So this is kind of the vision that I'm saying God is wanting us to think about and think through as a church. And it's really not new. It's really not difficult. Um, it's really something simple that we're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, that's the answer. But I want us to really focus in on what Paul is saying here as a church. I don't want us to read this as individuals. We often do that in our cultural context as Americans. We're very individual. We can just pull our bootstraps up and we can make it happen. We just think about these things individually. And when I think about what Paul is saying here, sometimes we just apply it to, to Ted. So as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And, and I read that like, Ted, that's what you're supposed to do. But Paul's actually saying, church, this is what you're supposed to do. So as I see the church going this way, the culture going this way, we're, we're bad exes, it was a bad breakup, and now we're kind of, we kind of hate each other. Not that we hate the culture, but 
it's turning out that whatever we try and do gets thrown back in our face, turned against us. And then as the American church, we see a lot of different things taking place. Todd Freehafer is helping us understand what is the gospel in that connection group class because if we're going to go out and share, we, we really got to know what it is because there are false gospels being preached. Scripture told us it would happen, and guess what? It is happening. So if we think about, okay, here's where we're at. Where do we go from here? We can think about that on a large scale. We can think about that. And what I want us to do is think about that as a church. What I'm about to say applies to every single person here. And so when Paul uses this phrase, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He is talking to every believer in that church in Ephesus. And of course, the letter would have been spread around to other churches because it was probably lots of smaller house churches at this point. When we hear that word, a life worthy of the calling you have received, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking about pastors or missionaries or people called the full-time ministry. I just spent last week uh, at what we call Pastoral Assessment Center. As a denomination, when people sense a call to ministry, when guys and their wives, if they're married or engaged, sense a call to pastoral ministry, we spend a few days with them, helping them to discern that call. Is God calling you to specifically congregational ministry within the church? And we listen for those things. I did that same process when back in many moons ago, I felt a call to, to pastoral ministry and Jess and I went to Pastoral Assessment Center where I'm sitting with other pastors and their wives. I grew up in a, in a church in Reamstown and they're like, Ted, we, we think you're called to ministry. I shared it with people. I said, I, I think God wants me to do this with the rest of my life. And they were like, yeah, I, we see it, Ted. And then I go to Pastoral Assessment Center, and it's other pastors and their wives saying, Ted, we heard it. We, we want you to pursue it, and we as the denomination want to help set you in that path of becoming a pastor. I got to sit with five couples who sensed that same thing. I love doing it. It's a, it's a long week because of all the intensive things we're doing, but I love doing it because it reminds me, and every story is different, of how God moved them into that role and being able to affirm in their lives, God is, is doing something big in your life. I had the privilege of sitting with uh, a guy and his wife that specifically felt called to chaplaincy, and their ultimate goal is to go into, they're both prior Marines, and they want to go into chaplaincy and serve Navy, Marine Corps in that way. And just to listen and hear just the passion that they sense of wanting to help military men and women and their families know Jesus is wonderful. And so when I read that passage, maybe you think a life worthy of the calling you have received is that couple, Evan and Megan. And, and that's what God's called them to. And that's who Paul's referencing. Well, that isn't me, Ted. I don't feel called to ministry in that way. Well, that's okay, because that's not who Paul's talking to. He's talking to every believer. Ephesians 1 through 3 is talking about this calling of salvation. When you've received Christ and confessed him as Lord and said, I'm going to follow him, he is talking to you. A life worthy of that calling. What does that even look like? 
Well, we're going to talk about that in the near future. What does it look like to live a life worthy of that calling? He says to be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. He's talking about the church, you and me. So we can ask ourselves, as the church, and this is, he's, he's prefacing the next thing he's saying with this, because this is going to be really important when he starts bringing up this word called unity. So if we think about how we treat each other in the church, that's who he's talking to. On a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being really bad, 10 being really great, have you been humble? Have you walked with humility amongst your brothers and sisters? Have you shown gentleness in conversations and how you respond to people? Now he's talking about the church family. So if you wanted to, you could look around at each other and say, have I been that way to the person sitting right beside me? And maybe when you look at somebody, if they give you like this evil stare, it probably means you haven't been. So you've got some work to do. Have I been patient with each other? Have I been bearing with one another in love? Paul's saying these things, and we as a church are supposed to be doing this together. He's not just saying, Ted, you're a pastor who's called to pastoral ministry. Are you doing that? He's saying all of us together are doing this. And it's important because he's about to talk about how the world's going to view us and, and the way we are to operate as a church. And when we think about where we're at and where we're going to go, this isn't like uh, Ted wants to go to Dick's Sporting Goods and Jess wants to go to uh, Target. No, we're looking at the map, you're here, and we're all going together in one uniform way. And if you've ever been a part of a group, you know how difficult that is to get an entire group to do it together. We just finished Christmas. You might have been with family, and you might have tried to do a family picture. How easy was it? I should go back to the last slide. Were you gentle and humble and patient? with your family, when you're just like, smile, look at the camera. Nobody's doing anything. It's just, you're just trying to get a picture. It's a small group of people. Now imagine a larger group. If you've ever coached anybody on anything, especially kids, and if you have some kind of, I'm thinking formation, I'm thinking football. If you've ever coached kids in football and you're trying to get them all to do the same thing, You've heard the expression, it's like herding cats. It's impossible. So have you been a part of an organization where you're leading something? How difficult is that? Paul's talking about the church. And he's saying that if all this is supposed to work, what he's about to say in this whole section, now he's going to talk about unity in the next couple of verses, but he's doing this for a reason. Because he's about to give the church what they're supposed to be doing. This is the where do we go from here, peace, after unity. But he's emphasizing this because of how important it is that we are unified in where we're going. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And now he's going to use seven confessional statements about being one. If you want to know how important unity is, turn to John 17 in your Bible, and you'll read about Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross in John 17 is all about the church being unified. 
Paul is simply repeating something Jesus said. There is one body and one spirit. We are one body, but we are connected to the other believers, not only in our town. There's lots of churches in our town, county, state, country, world. We are one body and one spirit. The same Holy Spirit that indwells us is indwelling Christians all over the world. Unity. Paul is emphasizing this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We keep hearing that word one, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He is saying all that because it is so important that you guys are unified in where you're going. Bishop Randy is going to come at the last Sunday of <clears throat> last Sunday of January to talk about how he is hoping that the EC denomination is unified in this vision of reaching people. He's even gone to the extent, and we're going to link to this in our email newsletter, of making a, a video and asking the church, that's the EC denomination, to use the first Wednesday of every month for a day of prayer and fasting. Now that can look a lot of different ways. We all work, we all got different things, whatever that looks like for you. He's asking the church to do prayer and fasting. Now that's kind of weird to us, that fasting thing. Every single church I visited all over the world, I visited quite a few, fasting is a normal part of their life as followers of Jesus. He is so serious about the direction that God wants to take us. He's asking the church. The first Wednesday of every month, he did a video on it. We'll link to it about prayer and fasting because he understands what Paul's telling us, what I'm saying as Grace EC Church, that we are to be unified in the way that God's taking us. And that means being patient, gentle with one another, bearing with one another love, walking in humility as brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's why we need to do that. Because Paul's about to challenge us on what our role is, what our job is as the church. What I'm saying as the American church, I'm not the only one saying this. It's all over uh, anybody that's in churches and all the things I read talks about just the failure that we've had as the American church in discipleship. And, and part of that reason, I'm not saying we're just terrible at it, part of that reason that we haven't had to be as tensional as discipleship because it happened so many different places. When Ted was a kid um, and he was growing up, going to church every Sunday, I went to church every Sunday, did youth group, I did all that. Just so happens my one coach was a Christian too. And so he already operated in a way that said, I'm trying to help form these guys into people larger than just baseball or soccer. And then I had certain teachers that were Christians. And in fact, at one point, public education read the Bible as a part of it. And then you were with this friend group or your family. And everywhere you went, somebody was trying to help form Ted to be a disciple of Jesus. And so it wasn't exactly we just didn't care about discipleship. We just kind of got lazy with it because it happened so many different places, which was a wonderful thing. It's just not that way anymore. We're living in a culture, as I said, that we had a bad breakup. And now there's a lot of opposition to following Jesus and the teachings 
of Christ. And so what Paul's about to say here, why the whole unity piece is so important, why the whole bearing with one another thing is so important, why the whole live a life worthy of your calling is so important, is because of who we're supposed to be as the body of Christ. Again, he's not talking to one person, he's talking to the group. We need to think corporately. We're all standing at that sign, you are here, and we're all going this way together. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says he's going to quote an Old Testament passage to basically talk about the goodness of God and giving gifts to the church so that this you know, great big task of being the hope of the world isn't being done in your own power. God's even given you what you need to actually accomplish the task or the mission. And so here's the Old Testament passage. When he ascended on high, he took many captives, and he gave gifts to his people. Now, Paul knows what he's talking about. The group of people there knows what he's talking about. Maybe you don't. I'll summarize. God is good in giving his gifts, and he gives generously to his church. Verse 9 says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He's talking about what God did through Jesus. You know how good God is? He actually came to earth. We just celebrated that. God with us when we celebrate Christmas and we use the word Emmanuel. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. He is talking about Jesus being the head of the church. That's going to become important when he talks about the church being the body of Christ. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Paul is talking about people that are, are, have been given as gifts to the church. Now, we did a sermon series on spiritual gifts. We called it flexing our spiritual muscles. And we asked, what would your spiritual gift be? Because God gave it to you for the sake of the body. And Paul lists those things in different places like Romans, Corinthians. That's a little different than what he's talking about here. Paul's saying he's actually given people as gifts to the church. So our prayer, my prayer was, back in 2008, when I and Jess sensed a call to ministry, we were hoping that whatever church we went to, they would see us as a gift, not a pain in the butt. Oh, geez, we got to deal with Ted? If Ted's a gift to the church, it means I'm accomplishing what God's called me to accomplish. And that is to equip his people for works of service. And so when we met with those five couples last week, our prayer was, and I know their prayer is, that wherever God sends them, that they are gifts to the body of Christ. That's what we pray for. So July, we celebrated 10 years, our, our, our family being here, doing ministry together for 10 years. Hard to believe. My hope and prayer is that not just my mom or my wife think I'm a gift, but maybe you do too. On some days, maybe not every day, but on some days. But ultimately, so that I might be able to accomplish what God's called me to accomplish. And I've been praying a lot about that. And that 10-year mark for me was a big moment where I need to really discern what God's calling me to be and do as the church, as the pastor of Grace EC Church. And I've just felt like God's saying, you have got to be intentional 
about equipping his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That word is actually translated ministry. You are equipping people. I'm helping you do the work of ministry. It's not just the pastor who's called to do that. In the American context, we think about the pastor. Or if your church has a staff and they do the work of ministry. Remember, it's a corporate thing. Paul's talking to us as the church. It is our job to do the work of ministry. Some of you are seeking to do that. Tyler and Tristan and Dawn just felt like they wanted to go out into the community and use music as a way to introduce people to Jesus. It's work. They were here practicing the night we had all the snow. I guess it was was it Saturday night, right? It was Saturday before uh, we had the big snowstorm last Sunday. And they're here practicing for hours, and their cars were covered. I'm like, man, I hope they can make it home because I'm not turning heat on in the building. That costs a lot of money. No, just kidding. I would have turned the heat on for them. It's a lot of work. They spent a lot of time doing that. Ministry is work, but they did all that themselves. I couldn't even make it this past Friday because of other stuff. And yet they are continuing to do the work of ministry. And, and we are called, and I specifically sense a even deeper urgency, as I said, as I think about where we're at and where I believe God wants to take us, a deeper urgency to help equip us, all of us, to do the work of ministry so that we might be built up And this is the goal, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's not just a few. That's not just like superstar Christians, like Billy Graham. He was a superstar Christian, and he surely experienced the fullness of Christ. This is what Jesus wants to do in each one of our lives. If you are a follower of Jesus, he wants you to experience the fullness of what that relationship looks like. That's why we believe and sing songs about him transforming people's lives. Because we actually believe that he can. But he's, what, he's, what he's saying to us as the church is that we're doing all this so that we might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God becoming mature. All of us becoming mature. Not some of us, not just the superstar Christians, all of us. This is why it's so important that when we find out, okay, you're here, we're all going the same way together. That's maturity. And we're not leaving somebody back here, and unfortunately, you're not allowed to say, well, I'm just not like Ted. I don't really want to get that mature. That's not an option. Jesus is saying in and what you're actually saying is you don't want to experience the fullness of all that Jesus has to offer. This happens corporately together. This is why it's important for us to think about this as the church. Paul goes on to say, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. You know how much the culture is trying to keep you away from Jesus? There is a lot of deceitful scheming. There's a lot of, well, that kind of sounds right. Or, you know, do I really need to do that? Do I really need to go to church? Do I really need to 
read the Word? Do I really need to do some of these things? Is it really that important? You, you better believe Satan's not just going to come and blatantly put in front of you that this is a lie. But as we are growing and maturing, he's saying we're not tossed around like infants. And that's so important for us as the church to understand, especially as the culture's going this way. And guess what? If you're not discipling your family, your family is being discipled. Your children are being discipled. You better hope it's by you and by the church and not the culture. Because that's what discipleship is. It's learning. It's teaching. If the culture is teaching you about life and the way life ought to operate and work, you're in a lot of trouble. It's so important that we as the church see this as our goal, our role. Instead, because we're bearing with one in love, being patient, humble, gentle with each other, we're able to speak the truth in love so that we'll all grow in every respect. Not just this area of my life. Okay, God, you can have Sunday morning, but the rest is mine. Okay, God, you can have Sunday morning and maybe this time, but the rest is mine. In every respect of our life, we are handing it over to Jesus so that we mature as the body, become like Jesus, who is the head of the church. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is where I believe God's taking us as a church. This is what God has laid on my heart to share with you, and this is what it means. Corporate maturity is going to be the growth of the church. It is not Ted just getting closer and closer to Jesus, and maybe you getting closer, and maybe one of you getting closer. We have got to be intentional about us together as the body of Christ maturing and growing together. That is what discipleship looks like. And as we do that, God will grow his church because people are going to start coming to Christ. You are a big part of that because you have been called to this life of following Jesus. Not to leaving your job and going and pastoral assessment center and becoming a pastor right where you are the other piece about this is this isn't just an individual thing i'm not going to be happy if it's just ted growing or if it's just four of you growing god has called us to do this together because wherever god's taken us we are here we're going to go here he's telling us all of us are going in that direction, not just one of you. It's not like, oh, Ted wants to go to this store and you want to go to that store. He's calling us to be unified in the direction of being disciples that make disciples. What does that mean? That's what we're going to explore in 2024. I believe we have got to be intentional about that in our own lives and about that as a church, corporately that we have got to stop swimming in that shallow end. We talked about that and dive into that deep end because all of us are to experience that. And this is something that happens within the body of Christ. So let me close with this when we talk about corporate maturity. You cannot live out this Christian faith 
by yourself and apart from the church. It doesn't work. I'm sorry. The scripture doesn't even say that. In fact, Jesus isn't even coming back for a bunch of individual Christians. The bride of Christ is the church, his body. If you are trying to walk out your faith with Jesus by yourself, that's not what Jesus planned for you to do. Because then we, as the body, are not functioning the way we ought to. We're missing our leg. We're missing our arm. There's not much we can do without those things. This corporate maturity is seeing the vital nature of God's mission and plan for the planet is his church. It's not just a Jesus and me kind of attitude. And I realize the church is imperfect. Throughout history, the church has been imperfect. And as much as it pains me to say this church is imperfect, especially because I know how imperfect I am. And I know we're not always going to do it right. And I know we're not always going to treat people right. And I know the church hasn't always done that. But I want to say to you, I think you need to give the body of Christ, that's all of us, a chance to walk with you, to mature as a believer, to be a disciple who makes the disciple. The, the culture, the world in which we live isn't going to change if we are outside of this body that God says the, the change you're looking for happens with my plan. That's a group of people who are called out of their homes together. That's what the church is, called out ones, orienting their lives around the person and teachings of Jesus. So much so that they're willing to give things up for him. That they're willing to bear with this person that's really hard to bear with in love because of what that means. If we're going to mature... It doesn't happen just because you by yourself decide to read your Bible more. It's important, but it doesn't happen outside the body of Christ. So you're going to hear me saying, you're going to hear me say in 2024, be disciples who make disciples a lot. It is going to be the mantra. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 is where we're going to be in the near future to talk about how these things play out. So hopefully... Not only can we say this is where we want to go, but God's going to give us a roadmap on how we're going to get there. And I want you to know that God is calling you into experience the fullness of Christ. That's his promise. And once you've tasted and seen how good God is, you never want anything else. And that's not just true because of somebody being called into pastoral ministry. I could line up some other people up here for you and they can tell you that same story. But it's something that God's calling us to do together. This isn't, I believe, something that God just put on my heart. I believe this is something God has been, I've been wrestling with to be intentional about being a disciple who makes the disciple. And I, and I believe God said, Ted, you need to share this with the church that you're called to help shepherd. And, and I want to invite you to take that serious, that corporate piece, that, that church piece. That if you want to see your life be different, 
you, you can always find Jesus right here. There's a lot of people that really love him, that want to live in a way that helps you know who he is so that you can help somebody else know who he is. Paul says, the body of Christ unified in this mission is how the world sees that. Let's do that together this year. Let's think about, let's pray about how does our corporate maturity equal the growth of God's church? Because he's the one that adds to it. And what we'll see, what I've been praying about, is us doing baptisms of people who have been far from Christ, confessing Jesus as Lord and saying, I'm giving my life to this, and celebrating those victories. Maybe you need one of those. Maybe that's why God has you here this morning. Maybe that's why God has you listening on our live stream to show up in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word to us in the way that you, God, have given us a vision for what you want to do. And God, I believe that vision for your church, at least for right now, is found in Ephesians 1 through through 16. And God, I pray that we would see our maturity interconnected to your church. And God, I pray that we would understand that your mission, the church is vital to it. It actually doesn't happen without it. So God, I pray that as we continue to faithfully walk out our discipleship together, being unified in love, Lord, in humility, bearing with one another, being patient and gentle, but speaking the truth to each other, Lord. God, I pray that we might begin to start seeing you show up. And God, really changed lives is the evidence that you are still working and you desire to move in people's lives. Lord, may we see in 2024 more and more evidence of you working. God, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.